Have you ever missed the forest for the trees? How many times in life are we blinded to the obvious because of our attitude, because of our own misperceptions? Many among the crowd who followed Jesus as he moved from Galilee to Judea seem to have been blinded by their own attitudes, by their own perceptions. But we can see when we serve like Jesus. As Jesus makes his final trip from Galilee to Jerusalem, he is followed by a large crowd and he comes to Judea. Have you ever missed the forest for the trees? How many times in life are we blinded to the obvious because of our own attitudes or misperceptions or something that gets in our way of seeing what's right before us? Many of the, in the crowd following Jesus seem to have been blinded by their own attitudes, perhaps by their own perceptions. But you and I can see when we serve like Jesus. Jesus was making his final trip from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And in a short time frame, he would lose his life so that we might live. At this point, large crowds are still following Jesus everywhere he goes. And he makes his way to Jericho. Jericho was an extravagant city in Jesus' day. Have you ever missed the forest for the trees? How many times in life are we blinded to the obvious because of our attitudes or because of our misperceptions or because something just gets in the way of seeing what is right before us? Many among the crowd who were following Jesus seem to have been blinded by their attitudes or perhaps by their perceptions. But you and I can see when we serve like Jesus. Jesus was making his final trip to Jerusalem, moving from Galilee down into Judea. In a short time frame, he would lose his life so that we might live. But at this point, large crowds were still following Jesus as he makes his way to Jericho. Jericho was an extravagant city in Jesus' day, one of the wealthiest in Judea. Jericho was home to the winter palace for Herod, and the Maccabean kings or the Hasmonean kings before him, from whom he descended. And this was Herod's garden city. It had abundant water sources with three different aqueducts, a number of natural springs, and other bodies of water that moved into and around Jericho. In the 1970s, archaeologists uncovered an expansive palace complex featuring many elements of 
uh, pattern after Roman architecture, including a swimming pool that was 34, or rather 35 yards wide and 20 yards Have you ever missed the forest for the trees? Maybe you missed something that's right there in front of you, something that's so obvious because of your misperceptions or perhaps of, because of an attitude or something else, but you just can't see what's right there. Many among the crowds that were following Jesus seem to have been blinded by their attitudes or blinded by their misconceptions. But we can see when we serve like Jesus. Jesus was making his final trip from Galilee to Jerusalem. In a short time frame, he would lose his life so that we might live. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, large crowds were still following him. And so he makes his way to Jerusalem. And as he does, he comes to Jericho. Jericho was an extravagant city in Jesus' day, one of the wealthiest wealthiest in Judea. It was the palace city of the Hasmonean kings, or you might say the Maccabean kings, but it was the Hasmonean kings from whom Herod descended. And Herod also made this his winter palace city, and it was a garden city. It had three aqueducts flowing into it. It had a number of natural springs and other bodies of water flowing in and around it. In the 1970s, Archaeologists uncovered an expansive palace complex featuring many elements patterned after Roman architecture, including a swimming pool that was 35 yards in length, 20 yards in width, and 13 feet deep. Archaeologists also have excavated tombs in Jericho, one of which revealed a multiple generation of a family that was extremely wealthy. The tomb was decorated with ornate inscriptions and brightly painted frescoes. All of this points to the fact that Jericho was a vibrant city. It had a large Jewish population, estimated in the first century to be in the tens of thousands. And it was set on several hundred acres. This was a prominent, wealthy, royal city. And so as Jesus enters Jericho, he enters a bureaucratic and wealthy city, undoubtedly with an economically diverse population marked by the upper echelons of society, royalty even, as well as street bakers. And within this context, the mother of James and John asks Jesus to have her two sons sit at his right hand and at his left hand in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, verse 21, she says, do what I ask or do what I wish. She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Why would she ask such a thing? 
Maybe it was that the mother of James and John, as she's traveling with Jesus and traveling with the disciples, and they come to Jericho and they see the extravagant palace of Herod, that perhaps she's overwhelmed by the grandeur of this royal palace and this royal city. Maybe she's thinking in her mind of Jesus' physical kingdom that she anticipated. And she thought how great it would be for her boys, her sons, to have such an operation as this. Did she, like many in this royal city, get caught up in her own self-importance and the possibility of power that came with her son's association with Jesus? can't know for certain why she asked that Jesus grant this request to her. But how easy is it for us today to be distracted by our own importance as we see ourselves? Have you ever missed the forest for the trees? How many times in life were we blinded to the obvious? We're blinded to something that's right there in front of us because of our own attitudes, or maybe because of our misperception or misconception about something. Many among the crowd who are following Jesus seem to have been blinded by their attitudes or this, their misperceptions. But you and I can see when we serve like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is making his final trip to Jerusalem. He's leaving Galilee and heading down to Judea. In a short time frame, he will lose his life so that we might live. At this point, large crowds are still following Jesus. And so he makes his way to Judea. And as he does, he comes to Jericho. Jericho was an extravagant city in Jesus' day, one of the wealthiest in Judea. Jericho was home to the winter palace for Herod and the Maccabean or Hasmonean kings who were before him from whom he descended. And this was his garden city. It was fed by three aqueducts. It also had natural springs and other bodies of water in and around it. In the 1970s, archaeologists uncovered an expansive palace complex featuring many elements patterned after Roman architecture, including a swimming pool that was 35 yards in length and 20 yards in width and 13 feet deep. Also in the city, archaeologists have excavated tombs, one of which revealed a multiple-generation family of great wealth. The tomb was decorated with ornate inscriptions and brightly painted frescoes. Jericho was a vibrant city with a large Jewish population estimated in the first century to be in the tens of thousands of residents. And it's set on several hundred acres. This was a major, prominent, wealthy, royal city. And Jesus enters a bureaucratic and wealthy city undoubtedly with an economically diverse population marked by the upper echelons of society 
royalty, as well as street beggars. And it's within this context that the mother of James and John asked Jesus to make her sons to have ranks of honor in his kingdom. Notice in verse 21, the text says, And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. So she's asking Jesus to make her sons number one and number two in God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom. Why would she ask such a thing? Was she thinking of Jesus' physical kingdom and how great it would be for her boys to have such an operation? As the mother of, of these two sons, perhaps she was overwhelmed by the grandeur of Herod's winter palace. And she wanted something like this for her sons. Did she, like many in this royal city, get caught up in her own self-importance and the possibility of power that came with her son's association with Jesus? I wonder how easy it is for us today to become distracted by our own importance and how we see ourselves. And so Jesus, in this context, teaches the importance and humility of service in His kingdom. In verse 25, Jesus, we're told, called His apostles to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. What a contrast this message must have been to the culture of this royal and wealthy city. Everyone had his or her place. They had a pecking order of importance. Perhaps much like many in our culture were those who only sought to climb higher on the social or political ladder. But Jesus gives a lesson demonstrating that it's not this way in His kingdom. As Jesus leaves the city, He's encountered by two blind men. Now, most people in antiquity who suffered blindness or another disability usually were beggars. In fact, in Mark's account, he specifically calls one of the men, whom he identifies as Bartimaeus, as being a beggar. And so in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29, Matthew tells us, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Beggars were at the bottom of the social ladder. Often they were thought of as deserving the blindness as punishment for sin in some way. As seen by the comments even by Jesus' own disciples on a different occasion. In John chapter 9 verses 1 and 2, as Jesus enters in another place at another time, His disciples passed by and they saw a blind man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus goes on to tell them it was neither that his parents sinned nor that he sinned, that he was born blind. And so that highlights how many people felt about people who had disabilities or people that were born blind. They must have deserved it. 
And so here are these two blind men. As Jesus exits Jericho, and people are looking at them as if they're less than equal. You deserve to be in that place. And so as they cry out to Jesus in verse 30, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, the crowds begin to rebuke them. Again, look at the text. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them, verse 31, to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The word being translated, sternly told them. Or some translations might say, warned them. Doesn't just mean that they told them to be quiet. But to strongly rebuke them. Maybe the people in the crowd who strongly rebuked them and got in their face and told them to be quiet. Maybe they thought that they were just begging for money. But there's nothing in the context that suggests that they were really concerned that these men were begging for, for money. The mention of money doesn't happen in this text. Maybe the people who warned them were just so self-involved. Vying for Jesus' attention or seeking to see what Jesus would do next. Maybe they thought that they deserved to walk and follow Jesus, but not these two blind men. Nothing more than beggars. We don't know exactly why they warned them. But for whatever reason, the crowds don't see the blind men as having or as being as important enough to appeal for and gain Jesus' attention. But did you notice the end of verse 31? It says they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. But then something amazing happens. Jesus stops. Verse 32. Jesus stops and he looks at the blind men. The text tells us, and Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Out of all the confusion of a bustling crowd, of people crying out to Jesus, of people reaching out to Jesus, of uh, people talking around Jesus, Jesus hears two voices. The voices of the blind men. And he calls them to himself and asks what they want. And notice how they respond, verse 33. They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. They wanted to be healed. The crowds were following the great healer. Many of them were wanting to see his miracles. Many of them had seen his miracles, but they missed the forest for the trees. They missed the fact that here were two blind men 
simply seeking to be healed. And here was the great healer. Everyone was so consumed, perhaps about their own importance, perhaps seeing what Jesus would do, perhaps wanting to go and see Jesus establish a kingdom in Jerusalem, that they missed the fact that here was the great healer. And that he could do something for these two men. And Jesus is moved by compassion. Verse 34 simply tells us that moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. He's moved with compassion. He heals them, and now they become followers of Jesus. He has healed their bodies and their souls, all because he stopped, he served, and he healed. Christ-like service results at least partly from compassion. Jesus was moved to act out of compassion. Compassion is a sympathy for a person's misfortune. This is the ability to share with the feeling caused by the misfortune. Not necessarily an agreement with what caused the person to have the misfortune, or even knowing the cause of the misfortune, but simply seeing that someone is suffering in some way and, and sharing that feeling of misfortune with them. Sometimes in life we create messes for ourselves. At other times, variables beyond our control afflict us. Jesus was not moved because these men proved that they suffered unjustly. He simply saw their suffering and heard their appeals for help and felt bad with them in their state of blindness. One significant difference between Jesus and the crowds on this day was his willingness to stop, listen, and to show concern and understanding for these men. Jesus acted purposefully. Jesus didn't just do what seems easy to us at times today and simply give them money or alms. That's what the crowds were accustomed to doing, seeing blind men, seeing beggars such as these two men and, and, and just throwing some alms to them. Sometimes today, we feel badly because of another's misfortune, and we don't know what to do. And so to relieve our own feelings of guilt or our own feelings uh, sad, really, uh, about the situation, we don't know what to do, so we just donate money. We say, oh, look, I've, I've addressed the problem. It's interesting to me that Jesus and later his apostles in the book of Acts, as they encounter beggars in the New Testament. We don't ever read of them randomly giving money to beggars. But we do know that Jesus kept a treasury and that He helped the poor out of that treasury. 
In John chapter 13 and verse 29, on the night that Jesus is being betrayed, he looks at Judas and he tells Judas, what you need to do, go and do quickly. And the text tells us there in John chapter 13 and verse 29 that the other apostles hearing this assumed either that Jesus was telling Judas to go and get something that was needed for the Passover or that he was sending him to give money to the poor. Why would that have been an assumption on the part of the apostles unless they had been with Jesus and experienced with Jesus in the past giving money to help the poor. And so Jesus helped the poor, but He didn't just randomly give money to folks that were begging for money. Jesus acted, and even His apostles later in Acts, acted to meet the actual needs of those that were hurting. And so Jesus asks these men what they wanted and they said they wanted to be healed, and he was able to fulfill the request, and he acted. Service for us is seeing a need in the lives of others, and describe, or discovering rather what we can do to help, and then doing it. Sometimes that help is finding someone better equipped to help them. Sometimes we discover, you know, I, I'm not able to help this person in this need, but I know someone who is. And we make arrangements for that person to find the help that they need. Sometimes that service is doing something for another person. Service can be a profound act or it can be a simple act. It was easy for Jesus to place His hands on the eyes of these blind men. There are things that are easy for us to do as we serve others. And when we have an opportunity to do those things, we ought to do them. But there's another side of this coin. As you look at Jesus interacting with these blind men, and that is that we can receive Jesus' healing when we are willing to cry out to Him. These blind men heard about Jesus, and they knew of His presence in the city of Jericho. What they didn't know is that this would be his one and only time in Jericho. He would never come back to Jericho. He was on his way to Jerusalem to die. They didn't know that. But they did know that they had a chance right now to encounter Jesus and to cry out to him for help. And they seized that moment to cry out to Jesus. They were undaunted by the discouragement and the abuse of the crowds, those who sternly told them to remain quiet. But instead of remaining quiet, they humbly came to Jesus and cried out to Him, Lord, have mercy on us. They recognized His position as Lord. They recognized the fact that they needed His help as they said, have mercy on us. They also had faith, or at least recognition of Jesus as the Son of David, a title of His Messiahship. They knew He was the Messiah. And they appealed to Jesus' power. We want our eyes to be open. They knew He had the ability to do that. Sometimes we might be in danger of having an opportunity of receiving God's compassion or God's grace because we know the truth. 
but instead we allow other factors to prevent us from crying out to God. We need to be willing to cry out to Jesus. So consider Jesus with these blind men. We might say, you know what, I, I can't help everyone. I can't serve everyone. And that's a true statement. We find Jesus focused on his mission of seeking and saving the lost. And as he does that, he moves from city to city. He doesn't stay in one spot and just allow everyone that's got some disability or got some disease or, or has something wrong with them come to him to be healed. Jesus had a mission and he carried out that mission. But as he carried out that mission, when he had opportunities and occasion, he healed. He served. He was purposeful in going from city to city to proclaim the message of God. But as he went and he encountered these opportunities, he served. The difference between Jesus and the crowds on this particular occasion in Matthew chapter 20 is that they seem to be calloused, whereas Jesus acted with compassion when an opportunity arose. On the other side of the coin, as we think about those crying out to Jesus, someone may very well say, well, I don't know all I need to know about Jesus. There are sayings about Christianity that I don't know yet. Let me ask you this. Do you know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you know that Jesus died and was buried and was raised again as a sacrifice for your sins and that you have the hope of eternal life, of being raised to a newness of life by being united with Jesus? If you don't know and believe those things, do you believe enough to want to study about Him more? Or to ask questions about those from those familiar with the Bible that can help you in your study and understanding of Jesus? Jesus acted with compassion in an uncompassionate city. Jesus went into a royal city where everyone was accustomed to striving for themselves, climbing the social ladder, overwhelmed with the extravagance of the city, absorbed by their own self-importance, so much so that they missed the forest for the trees. But Jesus stopped. He served. And He saved. We need to live with Jesus' compassion and service. As the Binbrook Church of Christ, we need to conduct ourselves in such a way and act as a church family in such a way that we demonstrate Jesus' compassion and serve as Jesus served. We're going to have opportunities to live and serve as Jesus did with compassion. And maybe you're here this morning and you're one of those who has heard that Jesus 
has compassion and mercy and grace. And you're crying out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I want to be healed. Lord, I want to come to you. And if that's where you're at this morning, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.